we started a series last week. Kevin started on the greatest story ever told. He was talking about evangelism, and I'm going to continue that today. Because, you know, the greatest story ever told is about Jesus. Amen? And, uh, and uh, you know, there's a thing called the Great Commission. And, the, and Jesus commanded all of us, every single one of us, to go into all the world and preach the Gospels, make disciples, you know. And, uh, and a lot of times that's not what is on our radar. In fact, it's the number one thing that we're supposed to do as the body of Christ is to seek and save the lost. Amen? Come on, amen? amen? It is. It's one of the number one things that we're supposed to do. Of course, we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, but then, it's, then we go on to love others as ourselves. And, and I'm, I'm very concerned about this, in, in as, especially as we go through these last 20 years, is that that has not been on our radar as, as much. It's been on our radar to, you know, to get teaching ourselves and us to grow, but... But we're not really reaching out to people. In fact, the majority of Christians today, especially American Christians, never reach out to somebody. Never see someone saved in their lifetime come to the Lord. And I don't understand that because we have the greatest story that's ever been told. And, uh, and it's not just the story itself. See, if, if all it was was the story of Jesus coming on this earth, if that's all there was, and nothing else happened, then it wouldn't be the greatest story because it meant nothing. If there was no transformation of life, it meant nothing. In fact, really, the greatest story that's ever told is the one you tell. It's the one you talk about. It's the one you tell the day that you met the man, Jesus Christ, and he changed your life and he transformed your life. That is the greatest story that's ever told. It's not just about his, his, his death, burial, and resurrection it's his death, burial, and resurrection and my transformation. That is the greatest story that's ever been told. It is not a great story until you tell it. And you tell people how you met Jesus and Jesus transformed your life. That becomes the greatest story. Jesus didn't do what he'd do for people just to have a nice story. And people can tell at bedtimes, you know. He did this so you and I can be a light to this world, to be salt to this earth. He did it so all men could be born again, to be made alive, to become righteous, to receive forgiveness, that love and that peace and that purpose. And so us, so we could tell others. The greatest story begins when someone like you and I tell the story of how I met Jesus. When I tell the story of how I met Jesus back in 1983, that's the greatest story that can ever be told. Because that begins a transformation possibly in someone else's life if they receive it. How many of you guys know of somebody in your life that is a candidate for a life-changing, eternity-altering Jesus Christ? How many of you guys know someone who needs Jesus? Amen? See, and you have the ability to see transformation happen in their life. If you are a Jesus follower, you are salt of the earth, you're light of the world, you have the ability inside of you because of Jesus, how he transformed your life, to tell somebody about Jesus. Peter said this in 1 Peter, he says, but in your hearts you revere Christ as Lord, always, but always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Amen? I, I believe this. And I believe this week is an opportunity for you. And I believe God is going to 
bring people your, to your path that's going to walk around you or be around you that you're going to have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus, to share the greatest story. And it is so easy to do that. And a lot of times we hesitate to share our faith. And, and, and why do we hesitate to share our faith? Well, number one, um, we, have, we are afraid. We are afraid to share our faith. Now, I, I, uh, I got saved in a Baptist church in Wilmington, North Carolina. It was a Southern Baptist charismatic church. I don't know if you can, they still around. But anyway, that's what I did. We didn't know, you know, in the South. How many guys grew up in the South? And, and you know, you're either Catholic or Baptist in the South. So anyway, um, I'm just joking. But, there's, but that's, that's all we knew was, was we weren't Catholic. And, but there was a bunch of these churches that were Baptists. On every corner, and so, um, so um, we decided. You know, my dad was invited. I'll talk about that a little bit later to go to this, this church. So we got saved. We got radically saved. We just changed our whole life. Our whole life changed. You know, we didn't know anything about God, but I remember one time they were saying, "Hey, come up on Saturday morning, and when you come up on Saturday morning, we're gonna we're gonna have some breakfast, but then we're gonna go door knocking." And, uh, and I'm thinking, what what's door door knocking? And he says, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go tell people about Jesus. We're going to knock on their door. And so, um, so how many guys ever done that before? Remember that? So we went out, and uh, uh, we're, we went out door knocking. And, uh, and so I was bunched with a, a bunch of young people, and we did this for a number of weeks. But I remember our first time going out, um, we would take turns in our group. Who's going to knock on the door and who's going to speak? And so we're, we're going up there, and, and then I'm, uh, this, this girl, she knocks on the door, and she starts speaking. The guy slams the door on her, and, uh, and it's, it was kind of funny how she reacted. But I don't have time to tell that story. But anyway, so we, uh, we go, go to the next door. This next guy, he, he goes up, and he's knocking and, and, and talking, and they're talking for a while. And he leads this lady to the Lord, and it's just really wonderful, this older lady to the Lord. And then we go to the next door, we knock on the doors, and this other guy comes up, and he's, it's his turn, and, and uh, they basically get, we get cussed out. I mean, it's just like, I'm, I'm about, we're running. I mean, we're, we're thinking he's going he's gonna to do something, throw something at us. Then we, this next guy, he, he, uh, he goes up, and, and he has a pretty good response, doesn't seal the deal, you know, but, you know, it's just like a salesman in a, in a way. But anyway, and uh, so now it's my turn. And so I, I know, I'm, I'm thinking, this is my first time, and listen, there was no training. <laughs> there was no what to do and what not to do. And so here we go, and this guy, this older gentleman's working in this, in this yard. And so we start to go, and start to go up, he says, don't you guys come up into my yard at all. And I'm, I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus, I don't have to do it. So I'm thinking... Well, that was my turn. I got rejected. And they says, no, you got to go knock. And so the next door we come up to, and I'm, all I'm praying, Lord, let no one be home. Let no one be home. Let no one be home. I was scared. I was afraid. I didn't know what I was going to say. There was somebody home, and I got to get, it, get some of it out. Nothing really happened. Sorry. But, there's, but the thing about it is I think we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. I wish I knew what I know now because... I do have inside of me a story to tell of the life-changing power of Jesus. What would, you, what would you do if you had all the boldness of the world? You just have boldness no matter what. 
Well, you do. You have that inside of you, the Holy Spirit. But a lot of times we don't share our faith because we're afraid. What we're afraid of? To be rejected. Jesus even told us, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. We're afraid. The second thing why we hesitate to share our faith is we don't feel qualified. We, I'm, we don't, I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't, I don't have a degree. I'm not an expert. I don't have all the answers. We don't feel qualified. So we don't, we don't share our faith with our, our friends because we're afraid they're going to ask us a question that we don't know. The third reason we, we, don't, we hesitate to share our faith is because we don't want to be pushy. I don't want to push my religion on, on people. Well, number one, you don't push religion on anybody. You push, you share Jesus. It's not pushy. It's life-changing. See, the thing about it is you've got to get an idea. They're, they have a need. I had a need before I was saved. They have a need. You are ministering a need. They, need, they may not understand they need this, but they need it. And number four, and this is the, this is the worst part, I think we are complacent. We figure it's someone else's job. Someone else is going to do this, right? It's someone else's job to go out and tell people about Jesus. I'll let the pastor do it, and hopefully they'll go to church, and and I'll pray for them, which you do need to do. But it's not my job to go share it. And it's, we're complacent. We feel like it's someone else's. That it's, we wipe our hands of it and don't think about it. But listen, Jesus didn't say it's only for some of us. It is for every single believer to share their faith. So I'm going to give you three ways. Three ways that you can share your faith in Christ. It's so important to share the greatest story ever told. Number one, you can write this down. You can use what you have. And it comes from a story about a guy by the name of Levi. He was the first guy that ever really shared his, the gospel, shared his faith in some way. And if you don't know a lot about Levi, Levi, he was the despised tax collector. Uh, some, some of you might know him as Matthew. So in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, we see Levi. And uh, he simply... Um, couldn't keep the love of Jesus to himself. I mean, he had met this man. He had met Jesus Christ, and uh, he just couldn't keep him to the self. Now, th- think about this. Matthew didn't know a lot about Jesus. He didn't know a lot about him. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a Bible scholar. He had no religious training. He would, he would have probably failed miserably at anybody objecting him. Uh, Levi had never had a life group. You know, never been to a life group. He never worked in children's ministry. He never heard the story. There was no John 3.16 at this time yet. The only thing the guy knew, the only thing he knew how to do was to throw a party. And that's what he did. And that's exactly what he did. He put on some burgers. You know, he invited some people, put the big game, the camel racing on TV. And he sent out an invitation. He did what he knew. He knew how to throw a party. And here's the story, how Luke describes it. He says in verse 29, Luke chapter 5, he says, Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to the sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Sinners are the others, I guess. 
In verse 31, Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew simply called all of his buddies and invited them to a party. He used what he knew how to do. He used what he had. It doesn't matter what, what, you, what you have. You can just use it. You definitely have a story. If Jesus has changed your life and transformed your life, you have a story. Just use it. Do You have a boat. Everybody wants to go on a boat right now. Well, when it gets a little warmer. I saw someone at Longview Lake dragging, you know, doing an inner tube the other day. It was cold. Anyway, I think that's stupid. But anyway... If you have a boat, you can use a boat. Invite someone to the lake. Get to know them. Share their faith. Build relationships. Do you have season tickets to something? The Royals, Chiefs, whatever. I mean, even, even soccer. I'm not a soccer fan, but do you have, I mean, invite somebody. Use what you have. Be gen- generous and develop a relationship. Can you cook? People love to eat, especially guys. Use what you have. Do you have extra time? You can use that to invest in relationships. Do you like drinking coffee? Find somebody who likes drinking coffee. See, the thing about it is, we need to learn to use what we have. When you use what you have, listen, God can use it. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have all the answers. Just use what you have. God has gifted you, no matter what it is, to be able to see people come to Christ. You don't have to know everything, but you do have a story. Tell the story to people. Build relationships with them. You know, so I, I, I did some, some searching of, of some early church. I mean, 100, 150 A.D. How did they share the story? Came across one of our church fathers, Ignitus of Antioch. And on his journey from Antioch to Syria and Rome, he was arrested and, um, and eventually was martyred. He was killed for believing in Jesus. You think you have it rough today about rejection. So on his journey to Rome, it was a very far journey, he wrote some letters to believers in Ephesus. And he exhorted the church saying there, he says, Pray continually for the rest of mankind as well, that they may find God, for there is in them hope for repentance. Therefore allow them to be instructed by you at least, at the very least, by your deeds. It's not only by your deeds. And a lot of times we make a cop out, oh, I, I just live the life of Jesus. Well, if you live the life of Jesus, you would also speak, right? Lay hands on the sick, you know, see them recover, right? It's not, it, at least by your deeds, he says. You know, his, his words were very, very poignant when he was talking about sharing your faith. And he goes on and on in this letter about writing to that. And one of his disciples, another church father back in... Uh, named Polycarp. He was a friend of Ignitus. He was also martyred for his faith. And, and when, when the Roman soldiers came to Polycarp's house to arrest him, he invited them in. Now, talking about using what you have. And this guy pretty much had nothing, was about ready to be arrested. He knew what was coming, that death was coming. 
So he invited these soldiers to come in, and he made them a meal. And he says, can you please sit and eat while I, I pray before you take me? So Polycarp didn't go into another room. He prayed right there in the midst of them as these soldiers were eating. And he prayed aloud, and he continued to pray aloud so that all in the house could hear his conversation with God. And here's a description that was written about it. He says, when they, the soldiers, consented to sit for a meal, he, Polycarp, stood and prayed so full of grace of God for, for two hours. He was unable to stop speaking. And those who heard him were amazed, and many regretted that they had come to take away this godly man. In fact, on the way to Rome, these, these uh, Roman soldiers began to change, and, but they... They tried to get him, hey, listen, just, just for now, just to say that Jesus is the Lord so you can live. And he wouldn't do that. And he went to his death because of it. But it started to change the life of those people. There's another guy named Justin Martyr, around 155 A.D. He was trained as a philosopher and he dabbed in several different Greco-Roman schools of philosophy. He was pursuing truth. He found none of them satisfying, and he was dismayed, and he was dejected. Couldn't find any, anything that fulfilled him. And so he went into a place of solidarity, solidarity, and he went to just by a sea, where he stood, stayed there, in a little little hut. He walked out to the sea to gather his thoughts. No one was around, and all of a sudden, some old man came around. And began to engage him in conversation. And began to talk about the scriptures. And how Jesus came. And uh, talking about the prophets and the apostles. This old man just sitting there with this trained, educated philosopher. And this is what he says about that moment. He says, my spirit was immediately set on fire. And affection for the prophets and for those who are friends of Christ took hold of me. While pondering on this, the old man's words, I discovered that his way, that his was the only sure and useful philosophy. See, it's just about using what you have. You don't need lights. You don't need sound. God is going to bring people into your path if you're faithful. To see them come to him. Just use what you have. Throw a party. Throw a party at your house. Invite people over. And share the love of Christ. Doesn't matter. Just use what you got. Use what's inside of you. When you're walking and and getting water. Or going out to lunch. Just use what you have. And be led by the Holy Spirit. Number two. The second way you can reach people. Is that you can invite them. You can invite someone to church. You know, John told us a powerful story in John chapter 4 about a woman who had experienced a life of hurts. And when she met Jesus, he offered her living water. Remember the, the lady at the well? And that relationship changed forever. In verse 28, John chapter 4, look what happened. He says, Then leaving her, her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. 
Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of town and made their way toward him. What did she do? She didn't, rec- she didn't re- memorize scripture. She, had, she didn't memorize scripture here. She didn't preach a sermon. She didn't lead anyone in a prayer. She just simply invited people to come and meet Jesus who, who had changed her life. It's an easy thing. You use what you have. It's a combination of the things that you have. It's not only the story you have, but you have, have a church that you can invite people to. And if you look around every single day, you know of somebody who needs the grace of God. You're going to see someone who's hurting and looking for comfort in your class. You're going to look at, and when you go to the gym, you're going to see someone who is discouraged and needing hope. How many has ever been at the gym and you've been discouraged and needing hope? I mean, right? You see someone at work that, that is, is, you're, you're working with is, is needing of direction. You have people, the harvest, the Bible says, Jesus says, is plentiful, but the laborers are for you. John chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 9. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into his harvest field. It was never that the harvest, we need to find harvest. Harvest is all around us. There's an opportunity. One invitation could be all it takes to change the life of a person. One. One invitation. You are salt of the earth. You're alive of the world. You know, one of the easiest times to invite people is next week to Easter Sunday. Invite somebody to church. Not just Easter Sunday, all the time. If they won't come to your home, hey, hey, come to my house. Come to the house that I worship at. Come to church. You know, there was a... Um, a uh, a survey that was done among non-believers. And they said, um, one of the questions, they had many questions, some political, some um, social questions. But one of the questions that they had, they had put it in there and hit it. If someone invited you to church, would you come? And over 70% of those people said yes. Because there's a need in our society. And that is Jesus. See, every one of us have been made for the Spirit of God to live in. And when that's not there, there's loneliness, there's despair. You're searching for things that are only temporary and they never satisfy. One person can be changed by your invitation. Use what you have. Invite someone to church and brings us to the third point on how we can reach people for Christ is that you can share your own story. One time when Jesus healed a blind man, I love this story. Tons of skeptics criticized Jesus, calling him a con and a sinner. And then he healed his blind man in John chapter 9, verse 25. Look what it says here. He replied, whether Jesus is a sinner. So they're asking him and telling him, he's a sinner, he's a con man, what did he do, you know, all this kind of and, the, and this blind man replied, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. What did the man do? He just told his story. And John continues, and the skeptics fought back in John chapter 9, verse 26, and then, then they asked him again, what did Jesus do for you? And I think this is funny. I think Scripture is funny. Look what he says. 
It says, what did Jesus do for you? How did he open your eyes? In verse 27, he answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? <laughs> I love that. Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? What did he do? He told his story. See, and the same Jesus that transformed my life can transform yours. See, my dad was invited back in 1983 to, a, to that Baptist Charismatic Church in Wilmington, North Carolina in March of 1983. He was invited by a lady who just shared her story, how Jesus changed her life at an older age. Because she saw my dad, and for somehow the Spirit of God told her something had happened. My dad had just gotten back from seeing his dad die of cancer. And this lady who didn't know my dad, my dad um, is a nice guy, um, but he wasn't someone you just would come up to and talk to at that time. You would now, but not that time. She used her story. And she invited my dad to her church. My dad comes home to a family that has one Bible, doesn't know anything about God. He had moved us out to the Winnebone, North Carolina, 20 miles away from where his business is, 25 miles away from where the church was that he was invited to. Because he thought the world was going to end and we were stock loading, we were loading up with guns and everything else. Glad my dad was wrong. He comes home and says, Sunday we're going to church. So we load up, and I wanted to go to another church where my friends, I knew my friends went to, and that wouldn't have been a good thing. But uh, he loaded us up 25 miles one direction to go to that church. 25 miles because of an invitation of an older lady that touched his heart because of how she said, Jesus changed my life. We end that church. And in August of that same year, we kept on going. I didn't, we didn't know anything, but we just went to church. In August of that year, my whole family walked down the aisle and gave our life to Jesus and got filled with the Holy Spirit. One decision, one invitation changed our life forever. See, the thing about it is, is that you don't know how your obedience. This woman could have been rejected by my dad. My dad could have just gotten mad at God. He could have been mad at God. You never know. Yeah, someone can reject you. Someone said, no, I'm not going to church. I'm not, I don't want any of that Jesus stuff. But you can put, plant a seed in their life that, listen, when the name of Jesus is spoken, it plants a seed every single time. Just use your story. I met a man in 1983. Jesus Christ, who totally changed a young man's life. 
who was already dabbling into drugs at age 12. Those were my friends. On the weekends, I was getting drunk at my, mom, at my uh, mom's friend's house because alcohol was readily available and we would go drink it. I was getting in trouble in school. I already had issues in my life because my family wasn't saved, wasn't perfect at all, by no means. My dad would yell at me at that time and tell me that was no good. But because of one lady who was obedient, changed the destiny of a family forever. In August, I met Jesus, who radically changed my life. I have a dad now that loves Jesus with all his heart and has never said that since that day, since he gave his life to Christ. He has never said anything that put me down ever again. I have a great relationship with a dad that was on a, uh, a road that wouldn't have been a good road. One decision. My dad was in his late 40s when he gave his life to Christ. What will you do? We have an opportunity to tell the greatest story that's ever been told, how Jesus changed our life. You can use what you have. You can invite someone to church. And you can share your story. Watch God move. Amen? Watch lives be changed. This is so dear to me because I believe it's dear to the heart of the Father. It's more important than anything in the world to his heart. It's to see lives changed. For his glory. Amen. To see destinies change. And I believe and I'm praying. That there is going to be a major revival. Where we see God move in a mighty way. Because we as believers rise up. And we take his word as truth. And we go into all the world. And share the gospel. In your world right now is this area that you live in. That's your world. It's what we, the Bible, the Greek word is oikos. The word oikos means your friends, your family, your neighbors. That's your world. That's what he, rec he says is your world. Now there may be times he calls you elsewhere and has you go somewhere and maybe he'll have you move one day somewhere. But right now where you're at is your world. And I want to challenge you to find that one person this week that you can use what you have, that you can invite them to church and you can share your story with. One person. Who is that one that you will allow the Lord to use you to see life being changed? That old lady, her name is Myrtle. Myrtle. 
She's, she's now gone with the Lord a number of years ago. And she's in heaven. And that will be the first person I run to when I go. Listen, God has a plan for you. And I want you to know that this week. That God has a plan for you to reach one. Every single one of you. And if you don't believe that, you need to get saved. Because if you have God's heart, if you're saved, you should have God's heart. And there is one person. There may be more. But there may be one person that you can share your story with. And they come to the Lord. That you can invite to church and they come to the Lord next Sunday. Or you can have a party. Amen? Do an Easter egg hunt in your backyard. Call, have them come. You, if they say, well, I don't want to go to church, we have an Easter egg hunt next Sunday in, this, in our yard. Thousands and thousands of eggs are going to be there. Invite them to that. You come to first service. And then you meet them out there, and then you go have dinner with them. It's not just about building Cornerstone. It's about building the church of God. Amen? So who is your one? Bow your heads.